Hello and welcome to episode 11 of my Leaders of the Civil War podcast. In this episode, we're going to discuss or continue our discussion of James Longstreet. And the following are some interesting facts. His nickname was Old Pete. It's believed that James' father gave him this nickname because his character reminded him of the Apostle Peter from the Bible. Ulysses S. Grant was probably his closest friend. After the war, Longstreet was in charge of a police force in Louisiana that included African-American militia troops. He served as ambassador to the Ottoman Empire from 1880 to 1881. It is believed that Michael Shera's book, Killer Angels, was based on Longstreet's memoirs. In fact, it is this novel that brought his character back uh, to life after decades of character assassination from the Lost Cause advocates. He and his wife, Louise, in January of 1862, lost three children from scarlet fever. This was just before the Peninsula Campaign. After the war, he became a Republican and a Catholic, both of which got him into trouble with his fellow Southerners and was part of the reason he was attacked so vehemently by, by them. It's believed the German army copied his tactics from the Chickamauga battle when developing their so-called Blitzkrieg plans for the invasion of France. Longstreet uh, pioneered the use of defensive breastworks that all armies copied later in the Civil War. It's believed that had he died of the friendly fire round that wounded him in May of 1864, his would have been one of the first bronze statues at Gettysburg. However, he outlived the war by almost four decades and became a lightning rod for criticism in the South. Longstreet had the biggest, best, and most interesting staff, and some say fun staff, in the whole Confederate Army. Some historians argue that Longstreet's wounding in the wilderness actually had more impact on the Confederacy than the injury and death of Stonewall Jackson at Chancellorsville. And finally, his second wife, Helen Dorch, Longstreet lived until 1962. James Longstreet was born in the Edgefield District of South Carolina on January 8, 1821. He was the fifth child of James and Mary Ann Dent Longstreet. His parents owned a cotton plantation in the Piedmont section of northeastern Georgia near what would become the village of Gainesville. Gainesville is also the place of Longstreet's death in 1904. The Piedmont section of northeast Georgia at the time remained like a frontier area with very few farms and towns amid a sea of forests and wilderness clearings. Farm chores were James's life, along with hunting, fishing, riding, and playing outdoors with his brothers and sisters. His father, James, was from Monmouth, New Jersey, and his mother, Mary Ann, was from Maryland. And if his mother's maiden name, Dent, sounds familiar, it's because she was a distant cousin to Julia Dent Grant, U.S. Grant's wife. Now, young James, whom the family called Peter or Pete, often spoke of a military career. He had childish dreams of glory uh, that filled his head as he loved to read books about Alexander the Great, Caesar, Napoleon, and George Washington. At the age of nine, James was sent to Augusta, Georgia, to live with his uncle Augustus Longstreet. James spent eight years on his uncle's plantation, Westover, just outside the city of Augusta, 
while he attended the Academy of Richmond County. Uncle Augustus was a force to be reckoned with and a tremendous influence on young James's life. Augustus was an enormously talented, well-educated, and personable man. His intellect, perception, and humor made him a formidable presence in the courtroom and on the political stump. He was also a well-known lawyer and judge and then was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives from Georgia. Uncle Gus, as, he's, as he was called, also had a huge, was a huge state, states' rights advocate. In fact, Longstreet was 12 at the time of the South Carolina tariff nullifiers crisis when Andrew Jackson threatened to use the Army to enforce the law there. Augustus was a friend of John Calhoun and was inflamed over the doctrine of states' rights. And James certainly picked this up from his uncle in an in undiluted truth. Years later, when James the man and officer faced a choice, he did not hesitate. Now, James' father died from a cholera epidemic while visiting Augusta in 1833, and James then spent the rest of his childhood with Augustus and his family, even though his mother and the rest of her family moved to Somerville, Alabama, following his father's death. When it came time for him to join the Confederate Army, in fact, he he actually sought a commission from uh, Alabama since his mother lived there, and it was advantageous for his advancement. Now, James and his father had always dreamed of military career for him, but he was unable to secure an appointment to West Point from Georgia because the vacancy had already been filled. So Uncle Gus sought out an Alabama appointment for James, where his mother was living, and with help from John Calhoun, as well as the governor of South Carolina, they were able to secure an appointment for James to enter West Point in 1838. Longstreet was in the class of 1842, which proved to be one of the best classes of the decade. Its ranks held 10 future Confederate generals, including Longstreet, D.H. Hill, Richard Anderson, Lafayette McClaws, Alexander P. Stewart, Gustavus W. Smith, and Earl Van Dorn, and also seven future Union commanders, including William Rosecrans, John Pope, Abner Doubleday, George Sykes, and John Newton all of which uh, Longstreet would face in the field of battle someday. While Longstreet was at the academy, the engineering class was taught by Dennis Hart Mahan, the academy's most renowned instructor at the time. He emphasized the capture of strategic points instead of the destruction of enemy armies. Hundreds of uh, cadets left the academy with Mahan's principles, carrying them into the Civil War. Now, Longstreet ranked near the bottom third of his class in every subject uh, during the four years. In a few subjects, he stood near the bottom. By any measure, Longstreet was a poor to mediocre student at West Point. He never enjoyed the strict demands of the classroom, but instead relished the physical activities involved there. However, Longstreet was a very popular cadet. His leadership in pranks, his sense of humor, and exuberance for rough and tumble made him an appealing companion for his classmates. They even uh, called him Old Pete, and according to his second wife, he was voted most handsome cadet in his class. His friendships formed at the academy endured for a lifetime. Among upperclassmen, Virginian George Thomas 
class of 1840, became a valued companion for two years. Within his own class, his inner, inner circle of friends included William Rose, Rosecrans, John Pope, Alexander Stewart, D.H. Hill, and Lafayette McClaws. Longstreet found his best friend, however, among the class of 1843, a, a year below his, and that best friend was Ulysses S. Grant. An Ohioan, Grant was a reluctant candidate, admitting to, in his memoirs that, quote, a military life has no charms for me, unquote. He did not expect to remain in the Army if he graduated from the Academy at all. Grant was reserved and serious. Longstreet was fun-loving and, and carefree. Grant never joined Longstreet in the pranks and games because, as Longstreet argued, he had, quote, a delicate frame, unquote. Despite his physical size and strength, though, Grant excelled in horsemanship and was regarded as the finest rider in the entire Corps of Cadets. In his memoirs, Longstreet described Grant, whom his friends called Sam, as, quote, of noble, generous heart, a lovable character, a valued friend, unquote. Although they would choose opposite allegiances in 1861, their friendship never wavered. This same irony attended many friendships across the grounds at West Point. Now, when James was 21, he graduated on July 31st of 1842, breveted a second lieutenant of infantry, he headed home on furlough to Georgia and spent time with Uncle Gus and Aunt Frances before reporting to his assignment uh, with the 4th Infantry at Jefferson Barracks, Missouri. For Longstreet, the most welcome addition to the Officer Corps came on September 30, 1843, when Brevet 2nd Lieutenant Ulysses S. Grant reported for duty with the 4th Infantry there at Jefferson Barracks, Missouri. Soon the two friends were traveling together during duty-free hours, enjoying dances and other social activities. The pair of lieutenants visited nearby White Haven, the family home of Grant's roommate and fellow officer in the regiment, Frederick T. Dent. Longstreet was also warmly greeted at White Haven because his mother was a cousin to the Dents. Months later, it was Longstreet's turn to fall in love after meeting Maria Louisa Garland. The nature of their courtship, his feelings toward her, and their decades-long marriage are not really known because he didn't mention her in his memoirs written very late in his life. She was daughter of the regimental commander, John Garland, from Lynchburg, Virginia. Louise, as they called her, was 17 when she met the 21-year-old Longstreet. She had come to Jefferson Barracks to visit her father. Uh, she was slender, petite, very attractive, with high cheekbones and black hair. Now, Longstreet, his appearance was, he, he stood six foot two inches tall. He had auburn hair and beard. He was very manly looking and athletic. His bearing was deliberate and his eyes were dark and, dark and steady in movement and gaze. Now, in May of 1844, quote, all the pleasures uh, of our life were broken, unquote, when Longstreet uh, and the 3rd and 4th Regiments were ordered to Louisiana. Longstreet evidently did not leave the, with the regiment at the time, but rejoined his, his comrades by summer's end. The two regiments formed a part of the Army of Observation under the command of Major General Zachary Taylor, future president. Months earlier, Congress had uh, annexed Texas to the Union, 
and Mexico surrendered diplomatic relations to the United States. The long-standing strained tensions between the two countries exacerbated, and President James K. Polk ordered uh, Taylor and the Texans uh, to the eastern border, what was at the time the eastern border. Longstreet was promoted to second lieutenant and was transferred to the 8th Infantry that soon received orders to depart for Texas to join Taylor's forces. They traveled to Corpus Christi, which at the time was a trading post on the Gulf of Mexico at the mouth of the Nueces River. With the Ameri- when the Americans came over, uh, also came over thousands of camp followers. Gambling and prostitution soon flourished in Corpus Christi. A historian of one of Taylor's regiments described the place as, quote, the most murderous, thieving, gambling, cutthroated, godforsaken hole in the Lone Star State or out of it, unquote. The troops with Taylor, uh, also called Old Rough and Ready, uh, were kept busy and away from the enticements of Corpus Christi to the extent possible. In camp, they played brag for Grant, whom Longstreet regarded, regarded as a poor poker play, player, uh, and he only sat in with, when the stakes were small. During the winter, the officers constructed an 800-seat theater and formed a stock company uh, to present plays, and they, were, and they charged admission. This was under the direction of Captain John B. Magruder. Every night, enlisted men filled the seats to watch their officers play uh, or, or act in various comedies and tragedies, performing both the male and the female roles. In The Merchant of Venice, Grant played Desdemona after Longstreet was rejected for the role as being too tall. The officers earned enough money to, play, uh, to pay for the construction of the theater. Longstreet recalled those days in his memoir, writing, quote, Life through the winter was gay, unquote. Pleasant winter ended, ended in uh, March of 1846 when Taylor's army crossed the Nueces River and marched toward the Rio Grande. Relations between the U.S. and Mexico had soured after Mexico rejected President Polk's offer to buy California. The president uh, consequently ordered Taylor to occupy the contested territory in Texas between New- the Nueces and Rio Grande rivers, which would eventually precipitate war. At the end of April, Taylor moved his army to Arroyo, Colorado, and established Fort Texas opposite the Matamoros, Mexico, where the Mexican army was located. And for five weeks, the army stared at each other across the river. At the end of April, Taylor took, uh, took his column and marched most of his army to Port Isabel on the coast to secure supplies. And on their way back, Major General Mariano Orista Uh, of the Mexican army had crossed the river and decided to give them battle. It was a lopsided affair as the Mexican army, uh, although they had splendid uniforms and beautiful horsemen, uh, they also used antiquated smoothbore muskets and outdated tactics. So they were decimated by Taylor's artillery and infantry. It eventually turned into a rout when the 4th and 8th regiments caved in the Mexican right flank, and in a panic, many of them drowned in the Rio Grande trying to escape. Old rough and ready Taylor was an instant hero back home, and Polk asked for and secured a declaration of war from Congress. Not much was written about Longstreet's role in this fight, but like so many future Civil War generals, Longstreet learned tactics and strategy 
under actual combat conditions on this battlefield that he would use, of course, in the future. Arista's army uh, retreated to Monterey, and Taylor's army followed them. On April 21st, Longstreet led two companies of infantry and some mounted Texas Rangers to advance toward Monterey. However, the Texas Rangers were poorly disciplined, and they stopped to plunder some property of the locals and were charged by the Mexican Lancers. Longstreet actually used this opportunity to to counterattack and routed the Mexicans back to the gates of the city of Monterey. At Monterey, Longstreet's company was initially in reserve, but as combat flared, he was ordered forward. Mexican General Ampudia eventually and finally capitulated, and Grant, uh, Taylor granted an armistice to the Mexicans, who then evacuated the city on September uh, 26. Longstreet emerged as a promising young officer at Monterey. He had reacted skillfully and quickly to the Lancer attack and had brought his column up the 800-foot side of Independence Hill and captured Fort Liberdad. He then led his detachment in an assault that cleared the enemy from the Obispado. On this fight, in this fighting and in the deadly work of the city streets, one of his men was, was killed and an officer was wounded. As a result of his performance, Longstreet was promoted to adjutant of the 8th Infantry with the responsibility for regimental orders, returns, and correspondence. Months later, on February the, uh, of 1847, he received promotion to the rank of first lieutenant. After this, the U.S. Army occupied Monterey for several months. Meanwhile, back in Washington, U.S. General-in-Chief Winfield Scott ordered Taylor to stay put in Monterey while he organized a force for a campaign against Mexico City. Scott planned to land his army at Veracruz on the Gulf Coast and consequently pulled the division of Worth, which included Longstreet's uh, uh, company, from Taylor and directed it to Lobos Island. Scott's rendezvous point, 180 miles north of uh, Veracruz. By the first week in March, Scott's army, including Longstreet and the 8th Infantry, lay off the coast of Veracruz. Now, Scott, who also was called Old Fuss and Feathers to it by his men, landed his army at Veracruz and started westward following the historic route of the Spanish conquistador uh, Hernando Cortez. Now, Santa Ana, meanwhile, had been returned to Mexico by the U.S., after somehow convincing President Polk he could settle the conflict. Well, his presence in Mexico City galvanized supporters, and soon Santa Ana was marching his army northward against Zachary Taylor in Monterey. Their forces met at Buena Vista on February the 23rd of 1847. Taylor's men fought valiantly and won, and Santa Ana retreated back to the capital. Now, less than two months later, he was confronted by another American army on on the similarly rugged terrain outside Mexico City. Now, Santa Ana controlled a narrow passageway with infantry and artillery that led to the city, However, one of Scott's staff officers, Captain Robert E. Lee, found a hazardous trail beyond the Mexican left flank and rear. Scott ordered a double envelopment of Santa Ana's position. On the 18th, the Americans struck. Major General Gideon Pillow's division failed on the left, 
but Brigadier General David Twiggs followed Lee's route, poured into the Mexican rear. Santa Ana's units dissolved under the attack, and with over 3,000 soldiers surrendered to the Americans. On May 15th, after a brief engagement, Worth's division, including Longstreet's troops, occupied Puebla, a beautiful city of 75,000 inhabitants. The remaining units of Scott's army filtered uh, in during the next two weeks. Uh, In need of reinforcements, Scott stopped the army there in Puebla for the next three months. Like Cortez three centuries earlier, Scott confronted a numerically superior opponent. Santa Ana had 30,000 troops to defend the capital, which appeared impregnable. Mexico City lay amid a series of marshes and lakes with, a stone, with stone causeways as the only routes of entry. Scott had to seize the causeways before his army could advance against the city's inner defenses. Unlike the conquistadors, the Americans would not be welcomed into the city. Now, the Americans approached from the south of the city at Churubusco. Longstreet's commander, General Worth, ordered an a, a, a attack against this fortified city with a ditch and 14-foot walls in front. Initially, the American, uh, Americans could not make any headway until Captain Bomford of Longstreet's regiment leaped up and ran toward the earthworks with Longstreet close behind and his, uh, and all, with all of his men, and he was carrying the flag of the regiment. Bomford, Longstreet, and the men jumped into the ditch. The defenders uh, seared the face of the parapet with musketry, but the Americans were not to be denied and scrambled up the wall, standing on the shoulders of comrades to reach the top. When the attackers rolled over the parapet into the enclosure, the Mexicans broke, fleeing across the bridge. Longstreet was breveted captain for, quote, gallant and meritorious conduct. As he led the men up the hillside, he was hit with a musket ball in the thigh, staggered, and fell. He handed the colors to Lieutenant George E. Pickett, who carried it over the wall. Yes, this is the same Pickett who uh, he would order a charge up Cemetery Hill on July 3rd, 16 years later. Chapultepec fell, and with it the city. Uh, Santa Ana's army fled in the darkness, and at noon on the 14th, Scott rode into the plaza before the city's magnificent cathedral. In his report of the day's fighting, General Worth commended Longstreet. He was promoted to brevet major for his performance. His wound took a long time to heal, but eventually he was fit enough to travel back to the U.S. by ship and made his way to Huntsville, Alabama to spend time with his mother. Unknowingly, for Longstreet and his fellow professional officers, the Mexican War served as a training ground for the Civil War. They witnessed the fighting qualities of citizen soldiers trained and led by professionals. The difficulties of supply and transportation across vast expanses of rough terrain the rising power of artillery, and the declining power of the smooth-bore muskets. The command methods of two disparate generals, Taylor and uh, and Scott, and the costliness of frontal assaults and the effectiveness of maneuver with a numerically inferior army. Throughout his time in Mexico, Longstreet had carried a picture of Louise Garland, and when he returned to the States, uh, he met with her family, and they finally agreed that she was old enough for the couple to get married. The ceremony was held on March 8, 1848, in the home of Judge Garland, uncle uh, of the bride in Lynchburg, Virginia. 
in July uh, when he read in the newspapers the 8th, 8th infantry, infantry would soon return to the United States from Mexico. He requested reassignment to his regiment. The following month, he and Louise, who was pregnant with their first child, journeyed to, to Missouri and attended the August 22nd wedding of Ulysses Grant and Julia Dent. After a time in Pennsylvania and the birth of uh, their first child, the Longstreet's moved to San Antonio, where he resumed duties as adjutant to the 8th Infantry, where the job of the Army was to protect the settlements from the local Indian tribes. On January the 1st, 1850, he was relieved as adjutant of the 8th and appointed chief commissary uh, of the department. He became responsible for the acquisition and distribution of food and forage for the department's entire complement of personnel and animals. Paperwork filled much of his work day, but he gained valuable experience in administration of a military force. He served as commissary chief for 16 months. Then he returned to the 8th Infantry and was promoted to captain of the regular army. Uh, Louise and their sons accompanied Longstreet on the trip on a trip east uh, to the coast, where unfortunately their one-year-old son William became ill and died in July of 1854. After this, they returned to Texas for duty at Fort Bliss in El Paso. James and Louise spent four years there in El Paso, and it was perhaps the happiest period of their lives in the antebellum, antebellum army. Fort Bliss held many attractions for Army personnel and their families. Uh, because of the garrison's small size, the officers, enlisted men, and their families socialized together with the predominantly Mexican villagers of El Paso. In 1858, Longstreet was ordered to Fort Leavenworth in Kansas after stopping in Washington, and he also stopped at St. Louis on the way and ran into many of his old friends there. They reminisced and decided to play brag, uh, but they needed another player, so one of them left the hotel and returned a short time later with Sam Grant. Longstreet's good old friend had been out uh, of the Army several years and was struggling as a farmer outside the city. Grant, Longstreet said years later, was, quote, poorly dressed in a citizen's clothes, unquote. The next day, before Longstreet departed, Grant came and handed him a $5 gold piece. While cadets at the academy, Longstreet had lent Grant $5. Longstreet refused to take it, but Grant insisted, saying, quote, You must take it. I cannot live with anything in my possession which is not mine, unquote. It would be a long time after the nation's debt had been paid before the comrades would meet again. With the, uh, the election of Republican Abraham Lincoln in November of 1860, the slide into secession and civil war was precipitated. South Carolina abandoned the Union in December, followed by six other southern states during the next six weeks. In, in February of 1861, delegates from the seceded states met in Montgomery, Alabama, and formed the Confederate States of America. For millions of Americans, allegiance had a terrible new meaning. He did not embrace secession. In his mind, perhaps, he had little, little choice, though. He had learned the doctrine of states' rights early in life and had seen his uncle's passion for it. And to, po to oppose that meant to reject the abiding views of a man he regarded as his father. He was on duty at Albuquerque, New Mexico Territory as, as department paymaster when he learned of the firing on Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor, South Carolina, on April 12th of 1861. As he recounted it in his memoirs, he made his decision known to his comrades. 
a group of northern officers led by Captain Alfred Gibbs tried to persuade him to reconsider. In his retelling of it, Longstreet asked Gibbs, quote, what course would you pursue if your state should pass ordinances of secession and call you to its defense, unquote? Gibbs wrote Longstreet, quote, he confessed that he would, he would obey the call, unquote. Although born in South Carolina and raised in Georgia, he had received his appointment to West Point from Alabama, and his mother still lived there. So Longstreet believed he could secure a higher rank, at least initially, if he applied for a commission through Alabama, also because Montgomery was the location of the first Confederate capital. He thought that would be advantageous. So he wrote to Alabama Governor Andrew Moore to secure a commission there. He was appointed Lieutenant Colonel of Infantry in Alabama on March 16, 1861, and accepted on May 1st. However, he did not resign from the U.S. Army until May 8th, which means he was a member of an enemy army while still commissioned in the U.S. Army. He said the reason uh, for this overlap was he needed to first rectify his paymaster books before resigning his commission from the U.S. Army. If that was so, then that begs the question, why did he not simply wait until he had rectified the books and could resign before accepting the Confederate uh, commission? What motivated him, or how did, would he justify it to himself, remains a mystery. What he did, however, was not exactly an honorable act for an officer. Nevertheless, Longstreet wrote later of that time, it was, quote, a sad day when we took leave of lifetime comrades and gave up a service of 20 years, unquote. The Longstreets were not alone. Sadness stalked a divided nation. Now tune in to episode 12, in which we will cover Longstreet's role in the battles of the American Civil War. Mm-hmm.